coming up this week off screen. We get a checkup of a different kind with Doctor Strange. Learn the story of Ethel and Ernest. Board the train to Busan. Decide to be a bit evil. Read the comedian's guide to survival. See what lies after love. Take a memorable road trip with Burn Burn Burn. Go inside the connected world with Lo and Behold. And meet the starfish. All those to come and more off screen. This is This is Off Screen. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. Welcome to Offscreen, I'm Van Connor. I am Case Allen. And we're coming to you from our shiny new Flashpoint studio, which you're, yeah. you're quite taken with. We've got a new table. We've it's got great. a new table. It's let's, let's, let's take a photo, let's put it on Twitter later. <laughs> let's do that. Yeah. So before we get to the film news, the reviews, the box office top ten, all the fun stuff you love to come and listen along to, we've got to talk about, uh, well, the big news of the week. And, uh, well, it, mm. are you aware of Mr. Uwe Boll? Um, I've seen a couple, seen a couple of, his, of his, his works. I'm aware of his Uwe. Yeah. Right. He is generally regarded as one of the worst filmmakers in the world. He he has been called... Don't uh, say that to his face, though. He will, he will fight you. Well, this is the thing. He's been called the Edward of our time. And there is a <laughs> genuine argument to be made. He keeps making awful video game adaptations mm. and schlocky direct-to-DVD action films. He made the worst film in Jason Statham's back catalogue, and that's really saying something. Um, and, yeah, he, he made the worst film in Christian Slater's back catalogue. That is saying something. The worst film in Tara Reid's back catalogue. Can you imagine how bad a movie would have to be to be the worst thing Tara Reid has started? In. I hate that she even has a back catalogue. That know. upsets me. Apart well, from this, as you pointed out, he once answered his critics by saying, you know what, I will face you all in the boxing ring. And you know what yeah. happened? He beat up four of them. Yeah, he did. He <laughs> beat up four of his critics in a boxing ring. And you know what, fair play to him, because you, you can't take that away from him. Well done. But he has announced now, no more. The time is now. We're at the end. The time has come to stop making films. And the reasoning is, he simply can't afford to anymore. It's an expensive business. Well, we business n- none show. of us ever knew he was self-funding this entire time. Can't have been entirely self-funding. Well, years ago, he ran it as, a, as an investment scheme. And he actually advertised it as, look, we make schlocky films that no one really likes. <laughs> but on, on DVD, they make money. And so you will get your investment back. Now he's saying the DVD market and the video market is dead. Yeah. And 80% of stuff just isn't making any money. I can't continue like this. So you know what? I'm done. I'm out. And fair play to him. You know what? He's, he's had a good run. <laughs> he's had quite the illustrious career. He Don't really illustrious has. Like <laughs> and, well, he's quite angry with the studio system. He's quite angry right. with the comic book movie subgenre. Um, mm. As he proved last year in a foul-mouthed uh, tirade online, he posted a video on, on, was it YouTube he posted it? Or his own site, I can't remember. And he just went ballistic. Oof-tube. 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 And uh, now he said, you know what, he's done, I'm out. Uh, although he's still contesting that uh, his films are, when, with him gone, his yeah. films deserve a relook, a rewatch, so that we can judge them all more fairly. Unless you're watching those films being thrown into some kind of trash compactor. Exactly. They need to yeah. get the E.T. route. Remember when Atari buried all the E.T. games in a landfill? <laughs> yeah. That's what we need to do with Uwe. Well, he thinks, yeah. though, he genuinely believes his films deserve a look in again now, in hindsight, a retrospective look and that we will all think better of his work as like, a result. He says... Like Ed Wood, a little bit, weirdly. He says you should start with Postal in 2005 and work from there. Was that the one with uh, the brother from Prison Break? I, no, 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 that's, that, that's... That's a Wall Street one. That's What's Assault it? on Wall Street. Assault on Wall Street. Funnily enough... What's that guy's name? Dominic Purcell. Dominic Purcell. Uh, yeah. Mick Rory 
from Heatwave from the Heatwave, DC yes, TV Heatwave, series. Yeah. Um, well, he he's actually gone on and defended that film in particular as part mm. of this exit interview he's done, and he said, "You know what? Our film was more gritty and more real than than even Wall Street Two by Oliver Stone." But you know what? That had Michael arguing. Douglas. No, no arguments here. Yeah. <laughs> he said he actually said, "My movies are grounded in realism. This isn't oh. Jason Bourne or some bowl." This is real. You're like, right. okay, I don't think you've watched your own films, Uwe, but... Uh, I don't think you've seen a film. I don't think he ever has. Right. But here's the thing, you know what? Whether we loved him or loathed him, he, he was yeah. a worthy foe. He was. Absolutely, yeah. I, I think I think cinema needs people I would like have him. never gone into the ring with him. I would have, no, yeah. no. It's quite obvious he was... Pretty formidable. Quite, yeah, it's quite obvious he was just a tornado in there. Yeah. But uh, this is the thing. We need bad filmmakers. We need the Anthony C. Ferrantes yes, of the world. We yes, need we the did. Tommy Wiseaus of the world. <laughs> we need the Vincent Gallows of this world to step up and say, you know what... You don't like my films, but do you know what? As long as it pays for itself, that's it. That's all I've done. I've made art. And I will give him applause for, you know what, at least he tried. In the pantheon of modern cinema, Uwe Boll was a worthy soldier. And that's that's fine. The battleground of, mod- of the modern multiplex, he was a worthy soldier. And so I, I think we should send him off in style. So, fare thee well, Uwe. It was nice while it lasted. I Did you know? Does that just take you back to like Toy Story Two when you hear it? <laughs> no, it's not that I, song. I sing that song at least three times a week to just, <laughs> just, just suit a different mood. Isn't there like a famous RSPCA advert in the US? Like their version of the RSPCA uses that song. Really? Did you not know this? No. Oh, it's the most heartbreaking thing. The US version of of the RSPCA, they they have like you know animals yeah, suffering yeah. with that song over the top of it, and it's just known for driving people to tears. Well, of course it would yeah, be. Yeah, it really was. And wow, just that's just yeah. as harsh. But yeah, fairly well, Uwe Bolt. So, first review of the week. It's a biggie. It is a biggie. It is a biggie. Yeah, so, I'm going to go see the Doctor. The Doctor is in. It's Doctor Strange. Yeah. We've been waiting for this for a while. Benny Cumberbatch he is, is going to be a he Marvel is. hero, and, and he's here. He's, he's, the time is now. Yeah, do you know what? I like him in a film. You Never thought I'd see the that's going to happen. That's very true. I forgot about your thing with Benny, Benny Cumberbatch. Benny the Batch. Benny the Batch. Yeah. So, Benedict Cumberbatch plays Dr. Stephen Strange. This is obviously an adaptation of the, you know, half a century long Marvel comic series now. This is Marvel going into the mystical realms, mm-hmm. which has not been done really yet. I mean, no, it's the first time we've done yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Thor arguably pushes a little bit close, but this is its own thing now. Well, it's like the, the cosmic realm, and now it's the mystic realm. Yeah, very true. And so, what you have is uh, Dr. Stephen Strange, who is an arrogant surgeon who gets into yeah. a car accident one night and loses the use of his hands. He's basically mm. he's crippled from the wrist down. He can't hold a pen, for instance. Yeah. He can't sign his own He has, hand. like, 11, like, bolts and plates. <laughs> That's it. They say the pins, and, pins, pins and stitches. And and, yeah. yeah. And, uh, well, he sets out to uh, find a way to restore the use of his hands through everything modern medicine has to offer. Mm. He quickly draws, uh, draws, comes up short, draws no result whatsoever, and sets out to Kathmandu, as you do, when he learns of an ancient healer who has the ability to restore him to full health. But, of course, this is a marvel movie so it's not just an ancient healer he's seeking out of course not she quickly turns out to be wouldn't you know it tilda swinton the ancient one Mm. who is you know the master of the mystic and is earth's current sorcerer supreme the guardian of our world against the forces of the otherworldly and the supernatural and having had his mind 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 opened 
as you will hear in our clip, uh, he decides, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to study this. And he, of course, his advanced intellect, his photographic memory, enable him to become the best student she has to offer. And he has to defend the planet from Cassilius, I believe his name is. Is it Cassilius? Caecilius. Caecilius. Yeah. Mads Mikkelsen, who is a former pupil gone bad, who is trying to unleash his own supernatural yeah. forces uh, upon the world. Uh, Bads Mikkelsen, if you will. Bads, Mik- Bads Mikkelsen, mm. yes. We have a clip. And this is Stephen Strange being introduced to the mystic. I spent my last dollar getting here. One way ticket, and you're talking to me about healing through belief. You're a man looking at the world through a keyhole, and you spent your whole life trying to widen that keyhole, to see more, to know more. And now, on hearing that it can be widened in ways you can't imagine, you reject the possibility. No, I reject it because I do not believe in fairy tales about chakras or energy or the power of belief. There is no such thing as spirit. We are made of matter and nothing more. You're just another tiny, momentary speck within an indifferent universe. You think too little of yourself. Oh, you think you see through me, do you? Well, you don't. But I see through you! And of course, the effect there is what you've seen in the trailer, where she yeah. pushes him he out of goes his body. Out of body yeah. He goes astral on us, which is, of course, that character's whole thing. Mm. He has the you know, access yeah. to the actual astral plane. Now, given the very complex level of material that is, you know, on you know available to this particular character, you know, things like the astral plane, things like other realms, things like you know the nowhere dimension, things like that. They actually do a fairly good job of narrowing it all down, keeping it focused. And mm. if you look at something like Guardians of the Galaxy, there is a pedigree for that. Guardians have some quite complex ideas that they managed to simplify enough and make it work for a modern audience. You didn't need a guide to get through it. And the Marvel Cosmic stuff was always like that. Yeah. The Marvel Mystic stuff is equally like that, if not more so. But where this goes really right is you've got that, that marriage of concept and cast and real pedigree behind the camera as well. So there's some great ideas behind the camera. You've got great visuals from Scott Derrickson. Yeah, who'd have thought that was going to happen? I know. I mean, yeah. although getting a guy known more for horror, for horror than anything else yeah. has proven to be quite the win here. But just looking back at his past films, the visuals mm. have never knocked me over. So him and his visual team have really upped their game on this. Oh, yeah, and yeah. this is the thing, because you, you go oh, through the marketing. at one point. It was just... It's true. You go through the yeah. marketing, there's a lot of Inception stuff in the marketing. You think, oh, please don't tell me it's just all going to be like that. It isn't, mm. but there's enough of it to amuse you. And but that's not the central concept. It's not, is it? And yeah, that was really annoying me, that comparison, because every single person was just like, oh, yeah. it's just Marvel doing Inception. You've got Michael Cicino doing this wonderful score, probably the oh first God, memorable it is, Marvel absolutely. score. It's, it is a character that's now got its own theme tune. Oh, yeah, definitely. Which is so rare for a Marvel film, it seems. And then you've got that cast, and Cumberbatch is great in the lead, even pulls off that slightly funky accent. You've got uh, yeah. Rachel McAdams manages to bring something to a relatively thankless role. She's a bit underused. A bit underused, but she makes yeah. enough of an impression that it works mm. I would argue she she fares about as well as Natalie Portman in Thor even though she has about a I third of the screen time yeah. Yeah. she has more to do than Natalie Portman did but she has about a third of the screen time Okay. Yeah. and then you have Chiwetel for, and that character <laughs> could have gone so wrong yeah somebody else would have just been hamming up the scenery in the completely wrong way oh and god yeah Chewie- just choose it Chewy up choose. in the correct Chewy way. choose, yo. Chewy choose. And then you've got Mads. Mads is bringing, uh, bringing some real depth to, again, something that could have been such a thankless villain. Yeah. And could have been Malekith. Could, could have been Malekith, which yeah. weirdly... I, I was going to be Malekith. He, he dropped Malekith, out of Malekith yeah. in the dark That's world. good. That's good that that happened. <laughs> and Tilda Swinton brings it all together, sort of anchors it all, I would say, as the ancient one. And she's a really sort of likable mentor figure. Even yeah, she though is. she's not really a likable character, but she's a likable figure within you. Like, actually, I kind of yeah. like that she's as off as she is. 
Big props, though, to the token comic relief in this one, Mr. Benedict Wong, yeah. who he, he gets the Michael Pena part in this. Essentially, That's what yeah. it is. He, yeah. he gets the, and I'm like, yeah. He gets the big laughs, yeah. He does get the big laughs. Um, do you know that um, uh, Dan Harmon from Community was brought in to basically up the laugh factor Good. in Doctor Strange? It, it totally shows. It does yeah. show. The film is funny. It falls apart slightly when you start looking at its core narrative, when you start looking at its, its origin story center. Mm. That feels think, a little warm. I think that's just because of our just natural kind of fatigue. It is, but also you look at the kind of film Doctor Strange is, and you do sit there and you think, I kind of wish they would go- they had gone a little stranger with this, that they'd broken the formula a little more. They'd gone a bit Batman Begins, actually, with it. That they'd gone down that Essentially, road. yeah. Uh, yeah. And <laughs> Broken even, Man goes to be healed and comes back with powers. Yeah. Exactly, but even the non-linear aspect of, of Batman Begins would have worked very well here. And I, I think it, it's good, it's fun, you will have a good time, hmm. but you're not going to be blown away by it. I don't think, you, you're not going to come away and say, oh my, no one's calling this their favourite Marvel movie. No, I but think. I, I think it's the best acted. It's the best acted. It's the best looking. It's probably mm. the best sounding. Okay, <laughs> as well. But I'd say upper upper middle ish. Upper middle ish. Middle ish. Ah, yeah. that works for me. With the latest film news and reviews, this is off screen. The on screen radio show. And we're back. And so before we uh, before we crack on with the uh, with, with the well the best of the reviews really in the top ten, uh, we should plug the podcast real quick. Yeah, let's plug it. Oh yeah, because we got stuff that we can't possibly fit into the the radio edit this week. We, so. we are but two lonely men. Two lonely men. <laughs> What's lonely got to do with anything? I don't know. It just it gives people a bit of an insight into our lives. So uh, uh, we got the podcast edition. Go on Deezer. Go on iTunes. Go on Acast. Download the podcast edition. Just search off screen, and basically you get an extra bit after the end credits where we cover all the films we couldn't fit in otherwise, and we have all the film news that we couldn't fit in. And yeah, it's just fun for the whole family, you know. Mm. And that's really what it is. So next review, then what we got this week? So we're going to talk about oh, box office top ten. We're going to do, do that, that this week. Okay, so that. top ten. Let's take it away. Number. 10. Keeping up with the Joneses. Is it worth keeping up with the Joneses? They're not worth keeping up with. No, okay, it's a really no. formulaic, really seen-it-all-before yeah. action comedy romp. Didn't particularly care for any of the characters. Uh, John Hamm's the best thing in it. Matt Walsh right. has a decent little, little part. I love, and... I love when Matt Walsh just shows up in a show like Brooklyn Nine-Nine, just in, like, yeah. in one episode. It's, well, that's it. He's like the comedy troubleshooter of TV shows. Yeah. When, when you, when you, you just get Matt Walsh. Yeah, <laughs> he is that troubleshooter. He's the guy you get in when you don't know how to elicit a laugh otherwise. It's, yeah. you know what? Call Matt. He knows how to fix these things. And that kind of works here, but it doesn't quite save the film. Number nine. I, Daniel Blake. Now, this New is entry. obviously a very important one this week. Mm. This, this is And this has led to some, uh, this some real things pieces out there and a lot of stuff has been written on this. Yeah, it's a very timely film isn't it? It is a very timely film. I think we should talk more about it in the podcast extras. Um, yeah, I mean obviously we did, was it Was it last week? We did the review last week. Last week. I yeah. we'll, talk, we'll talk more about it more we'll about the about relevance it. of it, but it's a very socially relevant, very touching, so very meaningful film. It, yeah. it, yeah. There is. But it is a great Ken Loach movie. It is a great movie full stop. It is a very important film. It is a very well acted film. It's a very well written film. I had issue with a couple of plot deviations which took away from the reality of it because I was in enjoying this tale being so real, so grounded, mm. that when it went into extreme melodrama, which it does twice, I felt that took away from the film. I do think, though, it is an astonishing film otherwise, though. Number eight. Stokes. Which has plummeted really quickly, hasn't it? Hasn't it? Yeah. Was, is, was it number two last week? I think or? it was, was number two or number three last week there. About. It was high up there. It's 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 you know, it's got a couple of laughs in it, but it's just it's an overcomplicated take generic. on what's really a generic buddy yeah. road movie animated film. And as I said a couple of weeks ago, there was a Pixar short 
partly cloudy. That did this just, better. It does it so much better. <laughs> exactly. Uh, we've got a film this week that feels like a short that's been overexpanded. That's one of our podcast extra ones. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, this feels like it should have had the focus of, for instance, Pixar short, as opposed mm. to the overly zany Warner Brothers animated yeah. romp that it actually is. It's, Although, it's, a, it's a shame, because it's, uh, it's an animated film by Nick Stoller. Exactly. It's his first ever one. And his cast is so good. Yeah. Like Andy Samberg Kelsey and Kelsey Grammer and, and Key and Peele. When is it not fun to hear the, hear the vocals of Key and Peele? Number seven. Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. You're very happy that you can get that at first time every <laughs> time, aren't you? I wake up and that's the first thing I say. I just practice <laughs> saying it over and over and over. Whilst you're brushing your teeth in the mirror before bedtime and you're saying it during... <laughs> Unique New York. Unique, Unique New York. <laughs> <laughs> right, I, I did quite enjoy uh, Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children. I liked Tim Burton doing his own sort of X-Men, mm. his own brand X-Men. I think it really worked. I think it showed that there's still life in the old dog yet. And yeah, I, I kind of want to see him do so, more larger than life concepts than what he's been doing. I would like to see something like this, this save the world style mentality, yeah. because I think he has something new to bring to it. I think stepping I think so, back, yeah. stepping back like he does with this, and not allowing his art department to run the show, mm. and actually saying, "Hey, I'm actually going to direct a film for a change." That works for me, and I think it pays off massively with this. Number six. Ouija or Ouija, whoever. <laughs> we just go with Ouija. We go with Ouija. Origin of Evil. Which I liked. It was a cheap and cheerful Exorcist riff. It's a decent little sort of 90 minute horror film. Elizabeth Reeser from Twilight is a good sort of dependable lead. The story isn't going to massively surprise, but you have enough fun getting mm. from you know, obvious A to obvious B to <laughs> obvious C, that you don't mind so much. It delivers on the frights, it delivers on the jumps, it delivers on interesting characters. And you sort of think, actually, yes, because interesting characters is why the Conjuring series is so well regarded, why those movies are mm. as good as they are. Really because the characters are interesting. And Ouija does make good on the disappointment that was the first one. I had a lot more fun with it. So, yeah, I liked it. Okay. I have a little bit of film news that you are going to love. Okay, what you got for me okay. then? Okay. Uh, Donald Glover. Hmm. Have you heard about a little project he's going to be starring in? Well, going to be co-starring in. Is is it Troy and Abed in the morning, the movie? Troy and Abed in the morning. <laughs> Sadly not. Hopefully that'll be coming after this, after he plays... I, I really, really hope that. Lando Calrissian oh, in the Han Solo standalone Star Wars film. It's just perfect. Perfect it, casting. It really is, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's amazing casting. It's it's not just because there is because you can physically see him doing that role. You it's can see him in the blue cape. You can see him in the blue cape. That yeah. that weird sort of yeah, that weird blue cape disco pants thing that yeah. he had. Um but also I kind of feel like given the comedic element that's going to be at play in, in this film, because you've got Phil Lord and Chris Miller. Uh, mm. Writing and directing, you've got. Uh, oh, please tell me his name. Playing Han Solo. Um, Alden Aaronreich. Alden Aaronreich. That took me okay. a second as well. Sorry, I, Alden, I he, he looks like him though. He does. Yeah, he, and you you can tell he, he's being a Han Solo movie. This mm. is gonna have to have some swagger and some hey, comedic chops. Would that it were so simple? It would that it were. <laughs> and uh, so Donald Glover, this fits nicely into there because he needs to be charming. Yeah. Lando Calrissian needs to be charming, and Billy Donald, Dee Donald always Glover, has that. Donald Glover is uh, just a walking charm factory. He he really is. Yeah. I can't wait. I've not seen his TV show, by the way, Atlanta. Oh, it's really good. I've not seen yeah. it. I'm looking forward it's to this. It's a little bit like Twin Peaks for rappers. Is it? Yeah. Okay, that sounds amazing. I'm Doesn't now definitely yeah. going to no, watch that good. now. Really good. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. So when's, is that? This, that's the first one that's going to be released in a summer, isn't it? It is, yeah. Summer uh, 2018, I believe. Oh, wow. So, do you know, not long. Not long, not, to, not wait. long to wait. So less than two years. I think we it starts shooting see. early next year, I believe. For, for being pre, pre-production pre now. I, I would imagine so, because yeah. what, Lord Miller have not really got a franchise otherwise, have they? Not really, not unless you count Lego Movie, but they're not directing 
the Lego Movie sequel anyway. Well, that's very true. So. But hey, hey Han, the the untitled Han Solo movie, I'm I'm looking forward to. I think. Yeah. Do you know? Do you know what they should call it? Uh, Castle Run, a Star Wars story. Interesting to say that, because that is the rumour. That's the rumour, isn't it? The, the Castle rumor. Run will be uh, um, done in, in 12 Parsecs. Can you imagine that? 12, Less 12 than 12 Parsecs. Uh, well, I actually know the explanation for that little continuity gaff, and, and it's really nerdy and really ridiculous, and made the Castle Run less than 12 Parsecs. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I know the nerdy explanation for it, and it involves a black hole. Okay. So, um, yeah. let's let's have some science with that and have a podcast extras about it. <laughs> we should. Let's talk that. I want to talk about Train to Busan. Yeah, I've heard some interesting oh, things Oh, wow. About this. I tell you something, this. Oh, I was blown away by so this. So, this, this is a horror, yeah? This is a horror. I thought it was a Snowpiercer style, you know, medical emergency on a train type. You just film. saw the word train. And, I, I saw and a your train. Mind went Snowpiercer. And, exactly. Now, believe me, you do actually think of Snowpiercer a few times during this. So, you know, fair place with all. This is a South Korean zombie movie. So the basic plot, obviously we haven't got a clip because it is an entirely subtitled uh, film. Basic plot, you've got a sort of absentee father, a hedge fund manager type, whom is uh, transporting his young daughter uh, to visit her mother in the town of Busan. And they're going by train. It is one of those great, luxuriant Asian trains. You know, the kind that only exists in Asia. Yes. Yeah, the kind that Wolverine yes. fights on top of. Those, <laughs> those luxuriant trains. And um, this is the thing. He, uh, while they're on there, they happen to have gotten on this train without noticing that the zombie apocalypse is happening around them. And it, but it's 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 believable. It's it's believably so. It's just you know there's some riots in the on news. There's some riots in the news. That's you, it. you don't know what the quite about. Yeah. Okay. As the as the train is about to depart, an infected person just happens to wander onto the train without the without the uh, what do they call it? The, the the conductor noticing. Yeah. And of course, you can imagine what happens. Then the train is going from point A to point B. The zombie virus starts spreading its way up through the train oh. and before you know it we're sealing bulkheads and we're fighting zombies on a train yeah, on a train so you've had snakes on a plane welcome to zombies, zombies on, on a train, a train. <laughs> and you know what it's fantastic it is so good it is a tight it's a, it's just a tight minute under two hours and you do not feel it this feels like 80 breezy minutes it is great it is well acted it's well executed it's well shot it is frightening it is this it's very visceral at times it is a film you absolutely will not lose grip on your armrests during it is terrific cannot recommend it highly enough but at the center of it all is this really great father daughter element it's about this absentee father trying to you know basically cling on to his daughter for dear life and make amends basically make amends for having never really been there it's great it's really well written it plays that snowpiercer card of the class war on the train it plays that really well it's got the stock characters that you can see when they do the inevitable because it has already been bought for american remake oh well of course yeah it's already been bought and you can pretty much see exactly who's playing which role who do you think who would make it Oh, I don't know. I think you need someone with energy, someone with that sense of just velocity in their storytelling. Well, shame, but Uwe Boll has just quit filmmaking. I know. Imagine that, because I could totally have seen Wentworth Miller as the lead in the film <laughs> <laughs> we make of this. <laughs> I'm saying uh, that because you know we had we had Dom Purcell in the other one, so why not get the other Prison Break? Might brother? as well, yeah. Uh, no, really loved it. Written and directed by uh, San Ho Yeon. If you like a good zombie movie, and you want I something. Movie. Imagine all the ferocity of 28 Days Later on a train. That sounds great. 
Yeah, and it's not one of those we're doing this in darkness zombie movies. But this happens in daylight mm. as well. It's even more. This is all clear as day, there for you to see, and it's so well executed. I I, I have nothing but amazing things to say about it. I genuinely loved it. With the latest film news and reviews, this is off screen. And we're back. So, what to now, Mr. Allen? Should we, uh, should we check in with Werner? Lo and behold, <laughs> we've made another film. Do you know why this film is called Lo and Behold? Is this, this is the internet one. This is the, uh, this is the, no, it's the full title is Lo and Behold, The Reveries, Reveries. of the Connected Worlds. Yes. The reason it's actually called Lo and Behold is because when they actually perfected uh, computer-to-computer linking in the late 60s, uh, and the internet effectively was born, mm. the first words transmitted were, were, were low. Lo and behold. That's very cool. And that's why. That's the story behind what is effectively a YouTube series that has been stitched together and released as a film. This was intended, I think. I think it was intended as like a 12-part YouTube series by Werner Herzog, which sounds amazing when you think of it like that. Because he's got another documentary that's either just come out or about to come out. It has come out this week. It's it's, it's a Netflix. That's Into the Inferno on Netflix, which we didn't get to see in time. So you've got all the big names there. Elon Musk turns up. Everyone you know from every other documentary you've seen about technology is there and what you have are these vignettes these chapters as they were which obviously would have been the youtube Mm. segments and they're about different aspects of technology and how they've changed our world how ai can change our world how space travel can be changed by internet technology we have a clip and and that that kind of addresses some of the issues i'm going to need to get into so i'll play the clip if its intent is benign it could have quite bad uh quite a bad outcome for example um if you were hedge fund or private equity fund he said well all i want my ai to do is maximize the value of my portfolio then the ai could decide well the best way to do that is to uh short consumer stocks go along defense stocks and start a war Um, and that would also be quite bad such an attack would be much more prosaic than an invasion of these aliens in the SpaceX reception area. Is that uh, Sasha Baron Cohen? That is Sasha Baron Cohen. Yeah. Um, I want to start by pointing out those aliens in the SpaceX reception area are in fact a Cylon from Battlestar Galactica and Iron Man. <laughs> so genuinely, Werner Herzog believes that, two, that, that a suit of armour and a movie robot are aliens. So that kind of sets you off on where you're going to need to be on this one, which is, quite frankly, it is disconnected. It is a YouTube series that's been stitched together, and as such, there is no core through line. There is there is no thematic element to this. Nothing ties it all together other than the bare-bones notion of technology. The problem as well seems to be that for it, it lacks a need to to have a wider look at things. It, it, for instance, it very really quickly dismisses Tim Berners-Lee. It seems to have a, dif- a distancing between the core idea of the internet and the World Wide Web. So when they're talking about the internet, and you don't realise until quite far into the film, they're actually talking about the mechanism of connected devices. Not the actual information that's out there. The information and the database that we all access and check our email on and watch our porn on and, and get our sports results on, that's the World Wide Web. The mechanism we use to access the World Wide Web, that is the internet. And the film doesn't make that clear. And it plods along for far too long before it, before it actually makes that differential. And it's only when you, it's only when they do the whole Tim Berners-Lee thing that you realise, oh, okay, we're not talking about the internet as I understand it. You're being far more specific yeah. about it. Okay, all right, fair enough. Um, 
the thing is, you have heard all of the technological stuff in this before. It's, it's, there are ideas that have been explored in better documentaries. If you've ever seen any Adam Curtis documentary of the last five years, you, you don't even need to give this the time of day. In fact, he released one this week that has a lot of overlap with it. Hypernormalization. Mm. I've not had the pleasure yet. Um, the novelty seems to come from Werner Herzog. That's it. He's yeah. the novelty He factor. is a character in and himself that's it, it. Yeah. You are, you, basically it's a case of saying here's a documentary you've already seen but Werner Herzog's doing it yeah. and if that's something that excites you enough then great you're going to probably have fun with this but you aren't going to learn anything new from it that you didn't already have information wise that's that's the problem with it I think mm. I mean it's not a particularly entertaining documentary but these kind of things aren't generally these kind of technologically based uh, insightful documentaries generally aren't there for, for entertainment purposes or even infotainment no it seems to sometimes either go in too deep or not deep enough that's the thing I mean yeah. this doesn't I, I would say I didn't think this was you know deep to the point of you know excluding people I mean Alan Frank did turn around and tell me like, I didn't understand word one of that and my right. response was well actually I did I it's a lot he says mm. yes but you're, you're a nerd who's into these things exactly yeah. And this is the thing, I, if you're in the market for a new tech documentary, go and watch Adam Curtis's latest. If you're in the mood for a tech documentary that has Werner Herzog, then yeah, look no further. You found it. But the unfortunately, place. the tech documentary oh. that Adam Curtis delivers will probably be better. And this, be is, better. this is that Louis through Mark Thomas argument from the Scientology movie again. Right, when it was essentially a skit. Yeah, this yeah. is this is that problem again where you start thinking, yeah, but I can watch Mark Thomas do this anytime. Yeah, because this is his gambit. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. right, okay. From a film you didn't particularly like to some news that you definitely will not like. Oh no! What, what are you in? What am I in for now? Okay. So have you heard about uh, the director of Deadpool? Oh yes, Tim Miller. Tim Miller. So Tim Miller sadly is not going to be. Uh, at the helm of Deadpool 2. Yeah, I did hear this. That was his first film as well, that wasn't sucks. it? That was, yeah. And granted, wasn't... this has now got him in the house of Fox, so he's going to be making some other film. Wasn't he the FX guy? He was indeed, yeah. He was a VFX guy. Forget the name of his of his house. Mm. But um, yeah, he, he was tapped to make the film after loads of people had dropped out and did an absolutely tremendous he job. He did, and I was one of those people that really decried why couldn't we have the Robert Rodriguez version of this that we all wanted. As was I. But, and then... Uh... You see the leaked footage, and you he think, apparently leaked it. Was it's, it's, it's come, come out? Now. It has it's been. Like it was Tim Miller the guy, yeah. But he has uh, come over some uh, some creative differences with the star Ryan Reynolds. I know. Who would have thought, thought that? that? Yeah. I thought that they were like best mates or something. But apparently, um, there's been a couple of rumors floating around the internet. Uh, one of them is that uh, he wanted to keep the budget low, and he wanted to uh, cast Cable with uh, Kyle, Kyle Chandler, Chandler. Yeah. Who I think would have been tremendous. I think Carl Chandler would have been Evidently, great. Ryan Reynolds did not, sir. Yep, and that's why he's married to Blake Lively and is Ryan Reynolds. You know who we need yeah. for you know who we need for cable, don't you? Who do we need? Mel Gibson. That's who we need. Mel Gibson in full Bloodfather mode. You needs to be are cable. just yeah. You want to just relive blood, uh, uh, Bloodfather, don't you? No, I want to relive the entire career of Mel Gibson. <laughs> I want to relive the eighties. I miss Mel Gibson, the movie star. I don't, you know. And now you have Mel Gibson, the anti-Semitic racist. Yeah, yeah, the time has passed on that one. But, has, it, you know, has it really? Hey, 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 we forgave Ro- Roman Polanski for far worse. I still haven't forgiven Roman Polanski. <laughs> well, it's, it's not that we forgave him, it's that we just don't talk about it. So let's let's leave that there and, and just not talk about it. Come back, Roman, make we'll more movies. Back. And Mel, come back, star in more movies. We just won't speak of these things, okay? Just deliver the goods and we will not look under the hood. That That's it. <laughs> Did you purposely rhyme then? No, actually, I didn't. Everything you say is working towards a rhyme. <laughs> <laughs> but just going back to that story, mm. that sucks. It that does really suck. does, it suck, does but suck. But it's opening it up now. The question: it Who does. would make it? Who I would make can't, Deadpool two? I can't conjure who could possibly direct Deadpool two. 
I'm thinking of budget and stuff, mm. and I'm thinking of 20th Century Fox, which is obviously a studio that will be Peter bringing Berg. out. Not Peter Berg, no. <laughs> because we'll be far too American flags in <laughs> a Deadpool film when he's Canadian. thing is, you um, know for a fact that when Deadpool 2 eventually comes out, there's going to be a line in there where it's like, yeah, it's almost like we have a new director. Yeah. You know that's that, that would happen. be great. Yeah. That would be fantastic. That's but, clearly going to be the case. I'm going to say Rupert Wyatt. Ooh. Even though he dropped out of doing Gambit, yeah. I think this could be... Yeah, this could probably tempt him back. Possibly. But, uh, well, and he's. Anyway, meanwhile, Tim Miller has moved on to another project, which is a potential franchise launcher called, I want to say, Influx. I want to say Influx as well, but I'm not entirely sure. It's some kind of sci fi, but I don't mm. know the ins and outs of it. It's yeah. a YA adaptation, young adult adaptation. It sounds like one. Uh, well, we shall see. Nonetheless, we shall see. Yeah. So, shall, uh, shall we finish off by oh, the box office top 10? Yeah, obligations and all. Let's do that oh, top no. 10. Let's do it. Number five. Bridget Jones's baby. You'll laugh a few times. You'll wonder why the jokes are woefully out of date. She'll have a baby. She'll have a baby, and it's over, and you'll never think about it again. Number four. Inferno. Well, let's see. There's some running around. There's some pointing at things. There's uh, an explanation of history uh, in a new, revised, almost Daniel Jackson-like context. Uh, There's Felicity Jones, who makes no logical sense in the movie, and then the centre of it all next to a sleeping Tom Hanks, is Irfan Khan, who's bouncing around the place, picking up his check with glee and enjoying the hell out of his time on screen. And you know what? Fair play to him. Irfan Khan makes this worth watching. But believe me, nothing else about it does. It is the worst thing Ron Howard has put his name to since The Dilemma, as you pointed out. But you know what? At least The Dilemma had uh, that, that Chelsea uh, Chelsea dagger playing in the middle of it. So we can sort of forgive Which that. is a terrible song, and it's got Kevin James in it. Yeah, but at least you got to sing along to Chelsea Dagger for like 90 seconds. Oh, just that go was, get drunk that on was, West Street in Sheffield. <laughs> <laughs> that was more enjoyment in those 90 seconds than I had in the entirety of Inferno. But, yeah, it'll be is what it is. Number three. The Girl on the Train. Doesn't quite come off the rails, but it threatens to. Emily Blunt's great in it. Uh, Luke Evans is great in it. The entire cast are great in it. Um, slight issues with uh, Alison Janey. Not her fault. Not her fault. So- stop, stop visibly swearing at me. I wasn't not her visibly swearing. I was just saying, every time. <laughs> Um, but the problem is it plays like a novel and it's a film it's not a novel if you want to see how turning a, an adult thriller novel into a great adult thriller film goes go and look at Gone Girl which frankly you should I, be I think they did a couple of times yeah, they did which frankly you should be doing anyway because this isn't a patch on Gone Girl and you should probably be watching that instead mm. and yeah put it this way no, nobody's putting this up for any Oscar consideration whatsoever no one with half a brain and we live in a world in which they are genuinely trying to push Sausage Party for a Best Picture nominee so have I ruined one of your film news bits or later? Possibly. Oh man I'm sorry <laughs> we'll talk about it number two Jack Reacher never go back although he has because this is the second film yeah and they never should go back there should never be a Jack Reacher and this is really disposable <laughs> there should be just because of our title <laughs> ignore give us two manji and we'll call it a day um this is just tom cruise is kind of autopiloting through this i mean it is a two-part ncis season finale it is kind of forgettable passably enjoyable gumph uh kobe smolders is just doing the avengers role again and you've got to- oh actually do you know who i will single out holt holt mccallany I don't know who that is. Right. He is one of those that guy from that thing actors. Right. And you know what? He's a lot of fun. Remember when uh, yeah. when Meatloaf died in Fight Club? Why do you keep asking me the things I've definitely seen? <laughs> if I remember. Yes. 
Right. In, there's do you remember Beatles? Yeah, I do, actually. He's the guy He's the guy who looks at Meatloaf's dead body and says, oh, I get it. In life, a member yeah. of Project Mayhem has no name. That's Holt McElhenney. His name was Rock Paulson. Yeah, his yeah. name was Rock. But that guy who says that, right. that's Holt McElhenney. He's okay. that guy from that he's thing. That guy. And he's a worthy little presence in this film. I quite liked him in that. There's also a bad guy who I keep thinking is like the poor man Scott Adkins. I thought that, and then a week later went and saw Doctor Strange, and I was like, oh my god, it's Scott Adkins. What Scott Adkins is now poor man Scott Adkins. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, if you liked the first Jet Reacher, in which case you should probably you know, question your ability to judge film anyway, you'll love this. But yeah, low bar. Low bar, man. Number one. No! Trolls. <laughs> I do love that idea. Troll in the dungeon. More fun than I expected to have. I'll give it that. It's more fun than I expected to have. It, it's it's way, way better than the Smurfs. It's uh, not quite as good as Peabody and Sherman. It's about okay. as good as Angry Birds. I don't think enough people went to go see Peabody and Sherman. No, no, they didn't. Everyone should watch Peabody and Sherman. Is it on Netflix, the movie? Because I know the series it is. It was, yeah. But watch Mr. Peabody and Sherman, the movie, if you can. It's it great. Everyone should. Um, yeah, this is. it's bright and colourful and uncompromising in its sunny disposition. Mm. And the kids are going to love it. And you'll probably think, okay, it's a bit glee-like for me, but I can get on board with it. In which case, you know, Great, perfectly works for me. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Off Screen, the on screen radio show. And we're back and dancing. So, where to now, Mr. Allen? Shall we check in with Ethel and Ernest? We're going to go uh, see Ethel and Ernest. Right, are you aware of what this is? No, I've never met them. Okay, I've this is based on a novel from 1998-1999 by Raymond Briggs, who's the author of The Snowman. Of course. Yeah. And I think The Snow Dog as well. Mm. So it's animated to look like The Snowman and The Snow Dog. It looks exactly the same. It's that style. Um, this comes by way of writer-director Roger Mainwood, who is an, is, an, is an animator who worked on The Snowman and The Snow Dog. <laughs> so this is very much in that lineage. And this, as we're introduced by Raymond Briggs at the beginning of the film, is the story of his parents. Nothing more, nothing less. This is the story of how his parents met, fell in love, got married, started a family together, and had their lives together. This spans their lives from about 1928 to, I think, the early 70s. So history is going on in the background. So you've got basically the bulk of 20th century history in Britain is going off in the background. So you've got, you know, uh, World War Two, and you've got the rise of the Labour Party and things like that. And you know what? Here's a clip that's going to give you just a judge of the tone here. Am I to understand Hello, that you wish to get married to a man? Yes, madam. Let's see a kiss for the bride. Hold it there, big smile. Lots of rooms for two people. Perhaps there'll be more than two one day. <laughs> this was their final hour. Blimey, Doug, this is it. I've been to the doctor. You mean we're going to? <laughs> Yippee! So you have an idea then, um, what this kind of plays like. It is such an upbeat, such well, not even not, upbeat is the wrong word. It's such a charming, heartfelt, and wholesome film. It really is. I mean, there's a moment in it in which they they introduce the the rise of divorce in the 1960s, and, and they just dismiss it with this wonderfully twee British idea of, oh well, not for me. And I loved this. It was like watching the opening montage from Up spread out for an hour and a half. With, I don't think I could take that. 
with the voices of Jim Broadbent and Brenda Blethyn. I definitely couldn't say that. And it is just, I mean, it, it had me laughing, it had me crying, it had me cheering. It, it, it felt like being wrapped up in the nicest, warmest blanket you can imagine. Mm. And I loved it. And it took me back to being a kid and watching The Snowman. And I, I, I honestly, I fell hook, line and sinker for it. It was wonderful. Do you I wish you could just go back and, and like watch The Snowman for the first time? Yes, yes, I do. Yeah. All the time. Although, you know, if that were an ability, there's so many other things I'd do as well. I would go back and watch Serenity for the first time, go back and watch Iron Man for the first time, you know, things like that. Okay, I've got some more film news. What you got for me, Mr. L? I've got news about a sequel that you will definitely want to be watching. Okay, go on, I'm curious now. Shaun the Sheep 2. Ooh, I liked Shaun the Sheep. I really enjoyed Shaun the Sheep. I did, it was like a brilliant silent comedy. It was like a silent, oh, but... There's a joke that references uh, Silence of the Lambs. Yes, there is, isn't there? There me. is. That slayed yeah. me. Is that, is, that's one of the ones where they're in the... Oh, yeah, yeah when they're in the jail. Yeah, and, and it's just like in the bars. Yeah, yeah, and there's the psychotic one across from the across from with the red eyes yeah. as well. Love that. It is incredible. But Chris, you'll, be, uh, you'll be happy to know that the sequel is going into production uh, early next year. Okay, last, last review of the week, then. We're going to do Starfish. We're going to do Starfish. So I hope you've got uh, tissues to hand, because this, this one gets a bit upsetting. I'm all out. Uh, right, so this is based on a true story, although it's set sort of uh, in our time now. It's, set, it's based on a true story that took place uh, a couple of decades ago. And this is the story of... This stars Tom Riley and Joanne Frogger. Now, Joanne Frogger, I didn't particularly know. I know she's a Downton girl. It's a blonde lady from Downton, yeah. yeah she's from like Downton. Yeah, I'm also told cool. she got her start in Corrie, because oh, she's she British, so you know that's, they all did. It's basically neighbours, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, Tom Riley, of course, you and I think would know mostly from Da Vinci's Demons. Yeah. But uh, yeah, they are a married couple. You know, he's the stay-at-home dad slash writer. She is, you know, a career woman who's heavily pregnant when the film begins. And one night, he has he suddenly overcome with agonising pain. And he, long story short, over a couple of days, he doesn't recover. They think it's food poisoning to begin with. He doesn't recover. And this builds to him just losing all colour, shivering, tremoring, in seizuring on the floor. Is rushed into hospital. There are complications where they don't know which hospital to take him to. They get a bit lost. He's left to wait for too long and he winds up in sepsis and as a result his face is left mutilated and he loses both arms you're looking at me like what his face is left mutilated and he loses both arms and both legs oh my god yeah i know this this goes into horrible territory very quickly not what i thought not what you thought thought is it no okay so what you get then get is basically how do you move on from this obviously physically he's able to live afterwards but because he was just a regular man in a regular life this didn't happen to him at work or anything like that there's no support for him there's no mechanism that can compensate him for this Mm. there's no no funding that can ease the economic plight that this is going to put on him he basically becomes a burden to his family and as as much as he's suffering they're suffering as well and it becomes a journey to rediscover his own self-worth at the same time as making life basically livable for his family who are continually miserable simply because of his continued existence so here's a clip that should set the tone nicely. it's a trailer clip i apologize but it sets the tone nicely that's not my daddy i'll get the new you home get back on track and he's still your same daddy, even though he looks a little bit different. I can't kiss them goodnight. I can't hold their hands. Tom. Watch. You only see how this thing affects you. You won't see how it's hurting everybody else. You just suck all the air out of every room you're in. I'll never stop loving you, Tom. I'll never stop believing in you. 
This is, I, I tell you, this is just one of those old school, died in the walls weepies. You, you, you can't help it. This is a, um, a debut as well. I mean, not really a debut. The guy's made one film beforehand, which I hadn't seen. The Christmas Miracle of uh, Jonathan Toomey. Um, written and directed then by Bill Clark. And it really delivers. What they've managed to do is capture, but they've got brilliant, brilliantly cast roles here. Uh, Frogger, terrific. Tom Riley, career best. Genuine. I did not know he could be this good. I've seen him in things throughout the years, and he's always yeah, been he's very been passable. Like one of those guys. Yeah, he's, he's yeah. all right. It's like Sam Claflin. You don't dislike Sam Claflin, but you never I like gonna... Sam Claflin quite a bit. Do, do you? Yeah. He's my favourite of like that. That, that crowd. That crowd, yeah. Well, this is the best you'll ever see from Tom Riley. He is terrific in this. He's aided, though, with really good prosthetics. They've really managed... To, I mean, it's so utterly convincing that you forget that he's mm. you know, a regular-looking man, that he's not had this happen to him, because it's so convincing. It will take you through the emotional ringer. It does end kind of at the point that you think, okay, I suppose you've got the maximum amount of tears that you can from us, so, you know, roll <laughs> credits. Um, I did really like it. I think if you're in the mood for... It's not, it's not notebook-style style tale it is very much a life is hard kind of a kind of a tale there is a flashback element that doesn't really lead anywhere it leads to a conclusion that adds nothing to the story can't quite figure out why that was there but it's a 95 minute film and you think okay i feel like that was deliberate padding on bill clark's sort of part mm. um generally speaking I, I i thought it was great i really thought it was great i thought it made me laugh at times early on because he was quite charming and then when they go, go and put the family through the emotional ring you do feel for it there are, you will find yourself sobbing Get and you. yeah, it really Get does you, you i mean it ended the pressure ended and we were just turned to each other like that was cheery wasn't it and yeah um if you, if you want if you want a good cry case look no further i always want a good cry. yeah i mean yeah. but it's right the fact that it's called starfish and his physical states does well that's prove, what i wanted to say when you yeah. were describing what happens when i didn't want to be well he does tell his daughter early on that a starfish can lose an arm or a leg and it regrows right yeah and this plays into the sort of thematic idea of him losing his arms and losing his legs and he has those robotic hands those robotic artificial hands mm. that you know you hear them whirring when he grabs a coffee cup and he's got the prosthetic legs it is really touching it is really <laughs> I really liked it. I liked it so much that I've got a bit of a dilemma this week, which is I don't know what's film of the week. Um, yeah, there's Ethel and Ernest, which I think is great. There is uh, Train to Busan, which I think is... In fact, you know what? It, it's Train to Busan. Train to Busan. It, it, it's head, head and shoulder. It is terrific. Strong week. Right? Strong week with Train to Busan, Starfish, Ethel and Ernest. Loved all three. It, it's a difficult dilemma. It really is. But I would say Train to Busan. Go and see it. it mm. you, you will see something that you haven't seen before. If you can if you can seek it out, definitely. Just 28 days later, on a train. 28 trains later. That's what it is. <laughs> so nothing to come next week because obviously you're uh, you're away for your belated honeymoon. I I'm believe. in New York. You're in, you're in New I York. I am in New York, New York. You're in a New York state of mind. So that's, that's fine. <laughs> be, yeah. But uh, we will, of course, be returning the week after. And it's a shame because there's some good stuff next week. Uh, next week, you've got The Light Between Oceans. You've got the Donald Trump Scotland documentary. Uh, you've been trumped. You've got a street cat named Bob next week. You've got The Accountant oh, with yeah. Ben Affleck. Uh, the Richard Linklater documentary is next week. You feel is that one that he's made or one about him? The one about him. Oh, I didn't even know this was this Yeah, was Dream is Destiny. Wow. Uh, we've got Rupture, new replacement Peter Stormeray. Uh, yeah, we've got The Darkest Universe, British rom-com with half the cast of the in-betweeners, but thankfully the good 
good half, not the awful one. That's good. Uh, we've got Girls Lost as well next week. We've got Nocturnal Animals, which I know you're really looking forward oh, to. It's a shame we're going to be missing that. We'll, we'll talk about it the following week. We'll talk about them the following week. We'll see what we can uh, get into the box office top ten the following week. But that's really all we can fit in this week. That's so all we know. That's all we know. Although, you know, there's a whole podcast extra segment. We'll get to that. This has been the Caddy Store production for On Screen. I've been Van Connor. I have been, as always, Case Allen. And we leave you with the news that Ice Cube has finally reached the pinnacle of his acting career, taking on not only the, a role in an updated version of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, but more importantly, he will be playing Fagin in an updated <laughs> updated contemporary version uh, of Oliver Twist from the director of Hamilton. Best news ever. Isn't it just? Just show me the way to get out of here and I'll be on my way. You've been listening to Offscreen. For more news and reviews, visit onscreenfilm.com. Podcast extras then, Mr. Connor. So this is the section where we get to do a little bit extra film news and some reviews that didn't uh, get to fit into the show. I can tell you've been looking forward to that as well. Just For just a year and a half. A year and a half. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> so, so let's, should we kick off with some film news? Yeah, yeah, go for it. This is all on you, baby. You okay, go. Then, sir. So this is some news about uh, Jack O'Connell. Yes. Yeah, okay. he, he I'm such a fan of. Uh, well, I, mean, <laughs> I, I, I mocked him endlessly until Money Monster and now I'm actually, okay, he's like, kind of good. He's okay. Yeah. He's okay. He can act. It's fine. Well, in that case, you'll be pleased to know he's got another gig lined up. He's going to be starring uh, in a biography of uh, the fashion um, designer um, Alexander uh, McQueen. This that news, the timing of that news is funny because they just announced Versace for uh, American like, Crime Story. Yeah, didn't they? Crime Story. I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah. So who would have thought the the first season was going to be any good? Yeah. I thought it was going to be. I really loved that first season. Rubbish. People versus OJ Simpson. That was so awesome. Much. Yeah. So I mean, considering that that third season of of uh, ACS is going to be in what like a year and a half's time this movie could conceivably come around around the same time well it doesn't like there is a start date or a projected uh, release date either Hmm. but I would think in the next couple of years I think it's going to be an Oscar awards I think from from archival footage I could kind of see him pulling that off I mean it's all about the voice though isn't it interesting life as well yeah and um, interesting friends and unfortunately he he did. Uh, he, did he took his own life. Didn't did he? take his own yeah. life a few years ago in 2013. It came up in that documentary uh, about a month ago. You remember that the first Monday in May. I do remember. Yeah. Yeah. That was a bit, bit of a bit of a rubbish documentary. Yeah. But, yeah. It was a rubbish documentary. But it started off talking about Alexander McQueen and yeah. how his passing had changed the mood of the whole Sarah that whole event kind of a thing. Well, he had such an impact, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah. But um, it's going to be uh, directed by Andrew Hake, who made uh, the film 45 Years, oh, which yes. I really liked. I don't know if you got around to seeing it. Uh, no, I have not seen 45 Years. I do want to. I hear. Endlessly. You should check it out. Isn't it available on one of the streaming services? It is on uh, Netflix UK. Ah, yeah. we're Netflix UK who finally added season two of Rick and Morty this past week. They only just <laughs> added season one of Rick and Morty a few weeks ago. <laughs> they, so. they, waited, they waited a few weeks to add season two. It's like, okay, you can have a bit and then we'll get a well, rest Rick later. Well, Rick and Morty are like buses, aren't they? You wait wait so long for one and then two Don't, because I'm, I'm chomping at the bit for a third season of Rick and Morty. It's going to be soon. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, gee. <laughs> I'm Tiny Rick. <laughs> I saw someone, I was in Hoban uh, recently, and there was a guy walking past me with a uh, Mr. Meeseeks, look at me t shirt. And I really want that now. I need that t shirt in my life. Yeah. I'm Mr. Meeseeks, look at me. I saw someone with a bird person shirt as well. Oh, man. <laughs> Danny Rick. <laughs> I love that show I'm so I'm dying much. in the garage. <laughs> If you've never seen Rick and Morty... This is just a weird yeah, conversation. If you've yeah. never seen Rick and Morty and you have a Netflix account, you are misusing that account. You should be using it to watch Rick and Morty. It is so 
So good. So, anything else in the news this week? Give me another piece before we go to a review. What we got? I will find something right now. <laughs> I'm trying to think. I thought we were going to do burn, burn, burn. But oh, I've, do you know? I've, I've got loads. I've got, got at loads. least another nine pieces. I, like, of I news. can't remember offhandedly what's happened in the uh, in the film news this week. You know, let's talk about something that you kind of dropped in prematurely in the show. What was that? Which then? is the fact that Sausage Party is being oh, yes. entered for the Best Animated Feature Oscar. Is it going for Best Anime? Because I thought it was going for Best Picture, which I thought was hilarious. They're doing both. They're oh, doing that's, both. That's brilliant. I... It's a little bit like when the last Transformers film came out <laughs> and they were just like, just submit it for every award. Oscars, Razzies, who cares? Just everything. Like, that film, uh, Age of Extinction, was literally, it was put in for Best Actor, Best Director, Best I mean, Film. It was, wasn't it? Yeah. There was oh. there was a proper official like for your consideration poster. Oh, I remember it. I remember it. It's like it's the Everest of optimism, isn't it? It was great. Yeah. You've, if anything else, you've got to salute that. But you got to salute the unmitigated balls on that one. That was that's it. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's been submitted for best picture and for also best animated. I think you could get a best animated nod. Probably won't win, but um, no. get a nod. I think they would, I think they'd be tempted to give it a nod purely because it's the first R rated one. Think, but uh, yeah. even even though we are kind of discounting South Park, when which we, when we say was these things. nominated for best song, wasn't nom- it did get nominated for wasn't song. nominated for animated feature because it wasn't around. When no, that out, we but, didn't uh, have that at that time. But yeah, I'm just gonna just a very very another quick Oscar news as Go well. On, we got just about people being submitted for categories and stuff. Okay, uh, Viola Davis is going to be in a film called Fences. Have you yeah. heard about Fences? I have. That's the Denzel yeah. movie. That isn't is it? the Denzel one. Denzel uh, has directed it. It's based on a play uh, which they've both starred in and both oh. won Tonys. I I wasn't aware that Denzel directed that as well. He has, yes. Oh, it's, okay. uh, it's, it's the third film that he's directed after The Great Debaters and another one that escapes my brain. No, right I, I forget. I didn't realise he directed anything. So. He has indeed, yeah. Well, this one has been getting some uh, pretty fantastic notices. As you yeah, could it's imagine, got a good yeah. write-up, hasn't it? But uh, the thing is, everyone was kind of wondering whether Viola Davis was going to be submitted for uh, Best Lead Actress or hmm. Best Supporting, because... It's probably the most crowded best lead actress. But well, let's be honest. Nobody was nominating her for Suicide Squad. So kind of maybe for Razzie. <laughs> no, she wasn't that bad. No, no, she was one of the three best things in the film. So you know, <laughs> the other two being Will Smith and Margot Robbie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But uh, no, she's uh, going to be campaigning for best supporting, and it sounds like she, she might have it locked up. Yeah, didn't yeah. she get nominated a few years ago for the help? Or was that Octavia she Spencer? did. Well, it was both. Uh, Octavia was uh, best supporting, and then she went on to win it. Ah, and yes. Bella Davis went for lead, and I forget who won lead that year. Yeah, so, I forget offhand. I can't remember what year was that. Was that was that twelve years a slave year? No, it was. It was early, year before two thousand and eleven. No, I passed. I don't remember offhand. No. I'll look it up. I'll look okay. It up. So yeah. I'll talk about Burn, Burn, Burn real quick. Yeah, then. I don't know that much about it. Right. This is a quaint little British indie film uh, from uh, Chanya Button. Not familiar with Chanya Button's repertoire, if I'm really honest, but this is the problem in uh, with British cinema. You tend to find a lot of filmmakers come from a background of mostly shorts and TV work, sure, yeah. and this is her first feature length. So you, know, you don't really know her body of work from this. This is the story of uh, two girls in their sort of mid to late 20s. Um, their male friend, uh, is it Daniel? Dan. Their male friend Dan dies um, from from an illness. He's a bit of a Jack the Lad, a bit of a party boy, and they've always regarded him as such. His passing has been quite sudden. He's Mm. kept his illness from them to a degree. And at his funeral, they are shown a video he recorded in their bathroom, no less, on his phone, in which he leaves them a set of instructions saying, right, I want the two of you to get into a car with my ashes and go on a road trip and play a series of videos at each step along the way 
and and that's that's my last request. And scatter my ashes in in different stages along the way. And these include like you know go to Glastonbury, go to an Abbey, go to places like that. And along the way, of course, you know as these things tend to do with these recordings. Uh, you know, they become sort of insightful to things that they are going through in their lives at that moment. It turns out he was a bit prophetic in the things he was recording in because he, he's what do you call it, like a drunken philosopher type. He doesn't realise he's being as profound as he is, but the things he says in these recordings yeah. are increasingly meaningful to them at this stage as opposed to earlier. We don't have a clip, so okay. can't, we can't really do much there. Sorry about that. But um, it's got it's got a decent little cast. What you've got are two basic unknowns. You might know them to look at. You've got Laura Carmichael and... Uh, oh, what's her name? Laura Carmichael. And I can't remember who the other girl is. But you've got a supporting cast, which includes like Julian Ryan Tut, Sally Phillips. I love Julian Ryan Tut. Yeah, yeah. Alison Stedman. You've got a decent uh, supporting cast and this is one of those films that you think okay I see the idea here is that if this had been done as an American movie for instance then I mean he does it is equated at one stage this is going to be a Thelma and Louise style coming of age tale and it does pan out that way it's not brilliant it's, it does feel like it's <laughs> meandering it's a little bit navel gazing at times I like it's, the premise behind it the premise is yeah. very good and I've got to give it that and it's pulled off well enough yeah. it's not a film you're going to come out and actively dislike it's a film that you'll you'll come away and think, eh, hey, it's good enough. It's fine. It's fine. You know, I didn't hate it. I had a decent ninety minutes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, was you, I, I liked it. It was. It wasn't ninety minutes. It was so much. It was about an hour and three quarters. Oh, an hour and forty six. Well, it, it was likable enough. It had a dark enough sense of humour under the surface, but I think they were a little bit afraid to go too close to that sense of that, that sensibility. Yeah, yeah. And you do kind of feel like if you'd done that i think you may have gotten a bit more well, out of it i think that's the thing you can do with an independent british film you mm. can go a little bit darker and it still be <laughs> i don't know humorous. we've got an independent british film to review in a little while that's well, going to really challenge we'll, that assessment we'll cross that horrible bridge when we get to it but yeah when it is an american if you do like an american version of it i think yeah. we would lose a little bit of a bite well but, i don't uh, know it yeah. feels it does feel like at times it feels like that sort of mid-season episode you get of a u.s sitcom you like two broke girls kind of a thing where one <laughs> right. supporting character dies and they go on the road that road trip episode they always wind up doing there's always a road trip episode but, do you remember the end of the big lebowski with steve Buscemi in the coffee can yeah you kind of feel it like... again. <laughs> <laughs> what have you done no you <laughs> do you remember fight club yeah, I do remember. remember. I do. Yeah, of course I do. Okay. I know. I know you remember it. It's kind of a rhetorical. Do you remember? I'm right, not asking yeah. if you actually. I know you actually remember the film. You're doing a Michael Jackson. Do you remember? Yeah, yeah. I'm doing a. Do you remember when we fell we in fell love? love? You were yeah. young and innocent then. That's. Uh, <laughs> you know. Although I'm just going to point Eddie out. Why can't Eddie Murphy be in all music videos? Yeah, I'm just going to point out that that lyric does not work in hindsight. Okay, <laughs> that lyric to a Michael Jackson song in hindsight, not a good one. Yeah. But uh, yeah. <laughs> what about what about us? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, this does feel like uh, like a sort of it, it wants to do that Steve Steve uh, Buscemi the Big Lebowski kind of a thing, but doesn't really kind of have the gall to go too dark with it. Yeah. Kind of a shame. I, I say I liked it. I, I wouldn't really say it was much more than that. I passingly liked it. That's fair yeah. enough. Yeah. Okay, let's move on to some more film news. Okay, what you got for me? I've got so much film news. So That's why we have an entire extra section, you know? I know it's great. It's like we've planned it. Almost. It's Almost. all for you, Damien. All for you. <laughs> okay, so there was a film out around Christmas time, last Christmas, okay. called Krampus. Oh, yes, there was. Yeah, yes, yeah, there was. Krampus. That starred, uh, let me see if I'm getting this right, it was Adam Scott. Uh, the film version of me, yep. The film version of you, yeah. And so it had Adam Scott, it had David Kochner. Yeah, it did, It yep. had Tony Collette. It had Tony Collette. And it had the actress from... <laughs> 
Fargo, Fargo. who I can never remember the name of. Is it Alison? It is Alison something. Yeah. I forget, but she's got... Her surname is not something. No, but she's got a a new series coming out where we hear her dog's thoughts. She's oh, a, that sounds cool. Yeah, she's a single girl who lives alone with her dog, and we hear her dog's thoughts. Oh my god, that and sounds it's, And it's from the dog's perspective, and that's that's coming out. I think it's a mid-season thing. I mean, this that wasn't the news, but that's really yeah, good news. The, I'll find out what it's around. called. There's a trailer for it, and it looks amazing. Okay, but uh, yeah, sorry. Go right, on. so the director of that film, the director of Crown, I want to um, say Michael Doherty. Oh, yeah. Okay. Nail on the head. Well done. Wow, okay. He's apparently got a new gig, and it's not 100 percent confirmed, but he is in talks. Is he doing the Easter Bunny one next? Sadly not. He's going to be doing uh, about another monster, Godzilla. Ooh. He okay. might be doing Godzilla too. Because okay. Gareth Edwards, of course, he, he departed. He's a bit busy. A little bit busy. A little bit busy. He's uh, yeah. doing post-production uh, on uh, Rogue One, a Star mm-hmm. Wars story. Uh, so, yeah, so we had to find someone new. I think that's pretty good. He also did um, uh, Trick or Treat as well. Isn't he writing, wasn't he already writing the screenplay for Pacific Rim 2, was it? I believe. Uh, not Pacific Rim. No, Pacific Rim. So, He's writing the screenplay for Pacific Rim, I think, for number, number two. Hmm. And, I think so, yeah. yeah I so, was also doing this anyway. And he was, was doing, also doing And he was writing the screen for Godzilla too. Yeah, I think doing it with someone else, writing uh yeah, writing it with uh, Zach Shields, who was a co writer for Krampus. Oh, okay then. Yeah. That sounds that, interesting. That could be pretty cool, yeah. I yeah. reckon Krampus was it was a pretty good uh, showcase for his skills. Yeah, it's one of those yeah. things where you do you do look and you think there, there there is this natural progression we do have with this 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 talent of this this pool of talent this is what, where yeah, they do graduate the from being the producer to then becoming yeah. the director and they go from being the screenwriter to the, <laughs> to the star wars movie that's like yeah. that's the end goal isn't it Let, let's be honest we just don't want an akiva goldsman type scenario where he graduates to director and we get what was it a new, a new york, york winter's, winter's tale, tale. oh straight oh, up wow. weirdest piece of film merchandise and i've ever seen was the fingerless new york winter's tale gloves <laughs> we were sent once was just, that was that was terrible wasn't it yeah, yeah, that was pretty bad. It was about as bad as the movie. Yeah, but, hey, actually, there was another another piece of film merchandising that was pretty bad. Go on, was that? Um, you remember that Vince Vaughn remake, uh, the De- uh, the Delivery Man? Oh yes, yeah. I remember. This is where but, we got the aprons. Yeah, aprons and uh, some calendars. Oh god, well. yeah. I'll never forget because they accidentally sent us two extra batches of them. Yeah, and yeah, uh, and that was that. That was a bad time. We 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 did not run out of coffee mugs for a while. No, we, did not. we didn't have to wash any coffee mugs for a while. That was the good news. That's pretty good. But uh, yeah, so Vince, okay, Vince Vaughn um, provided our coffees for about six months. <laughs> Cheers for that, Vinny. <laughs> Cheers. Good one. <laughs> Only good thing you've done in years. Right. So uh, tell me about uh, the film After Love because I don't know anything. Right. About After it. Love. Okay. So this is a a French drama. Is, is the best way to describe this? A French drama, mm-hmm. and this stars uh, Ber- I'm, I'm never sure how. To pronounce her name, Berenice Bejo. I want to say the from lady from the artist, the lady from the artist, yeah. who in black and white just looks like a saucy French Rachel McAdams type. A little bit, yeah, a little bit. And she's uh, you know, she's playing that kind of a character. This is very much one of those where you sit there and think, if you were going to do the English language remake, you could actually see Rachel McAdams in this. <laughs> she's married to uh, Cedric Kahn in the movie, and this is a very much a a story a split in equal halves. Neither one is the lead. It's very much a two hander between the pair of them. They've been married for fifteen years, and they decide. Things have deteriorated. They're going to get a divorce, and it's about how awkward the situation becomes in the household between the two of them when they're going through the separation. He basically is portrayed as being quite kind of juvenile. Quite, mm. uh, he lashes out quite a bit, not like, aggressively, but uh, sarcastically, quite passive aggressively. She, meanwhile, is quite withdrawn. She's quite stone faced. She's a big believer in the silent treatment, things like that. And the the pair clash endlessly as a result of their differing personalities. It's one of those where as they begin to ask, wow, how did we ever get together? You find yourself wondering exactly the same thing. <laughs> like, <clears throat> wow, how did you two ever really, how did this work? 
I meant to look up the other day exactly what I know Cedric Khan from, uh, because it escapes me. He's one of those actors you know his face, and you can't remember from what movie you have seen him. And no, no, looking at his IMDb page, still don't know. But uh, he's one of those where you know he's turned up as a diplomat in a Bond movie at some point. Yeah. Something like that. <laughs> one of those guys. Yeah, exactly. Um, really, it did It did work. It is a bit close to the bone. It's very much a raw, unflinching, emotionally based, not romantic drama as, as such, very much a, a familial drama. Uh, they do play the kid angle quite a bit. It's about the parents trying to win, trying to best one another as far as being parents goes. I did like it, but it is a bit of a, a, a somber affair. It mm. does come across that it way. It does sound and, like it. Yeah, because it's it's going for the realism of a divorce. It's going for the this is what it's like in a household with an antagonistic divorce going on when the dad can't can't or won't move out because of economic circumstance or apathy or, or anything like that. And it is about just the tensions flaring between the two. And they're not you know, they're not scene steam, they're not grand larger than life tensions flaring. We're not talking about big emotional explosions. It is just discussion based. It is antagonistic, you know, war of barbing words. <laughs> And I, I liked it. Didn't love it. <clears throat> Go with that. It was just pretty but, good. But I do, I do look at her and think, Berenice Bay, you need to be in more movies. You are great. Yeah, so. she doesn't do a lot of mainstream English language films, does she? She doesn't. I mean, I, yeah. I, I didn't. Rem- I know she has done things, but I don't remember yeah. seeing her in anything since uh, the artist. Yeah, I, I mean, know she's she been she in a couple. Is, of things. She is great in the artist. She was great in the artist, yeah. but it was a silent movie she managed to pull off. That's but uh, I she feel did like something. a lot of people seem to forget about the artist after it was so big. And... You know what she did after the artist, and I did see did it. I did see it, and I did rate this? her in it. The childhood of a leader. Oh yeah, you remember that one? This, yeah, that yeah. was the one about the you know unnamed future dictator, mm. and yeah, she was. And who was the? There's an American played the dad, wasn't there? In that, I can't remember. For life, me, I can't remember. Childhood of a leader. That was the one where Robert Pattinson turned up in it, wasn't it? Yeah. Ah, Liam Cunningham was the father. Berenice Bejo was the mother. That's why. Oh, Sedavos. <laughs> yeah, there yeah. you go. And Robert Pattinson was just some dude. <laughs> just, he's always just some he's dude. just some dude, yeah. but no, I liked uh, After Love. It for me, it felt like something that you know is eventually going to get adapted as well. It's like Train to Busan, where you can basically just see the remake rights flying past you as, yeah. as you're watching it. But, hey, uh, uh, speaking of something that was just eventually going to be adapted, go on, Uncharted the movie. Oh, guys, there wasn't David O. Russell going to do this for a while. <laughs> At one point, with possibly the best cast, it was going to be. Uh, Marky Mark as oh, Nathan Drake, man. Robert De Niro, oh my God. and Joe Pesci. <laughs> I mean, of That's course brilliant. that wasn't going to happen because Joe Pesci was attached to a film, so that was always just going to fall apart. I saw a meme the other day, and I thought of you, I forgot to send it you yeah. actually, and it was a picture of Robert De Niro sitting down drinking coffee, and the caption just read, Robert De Niro at this stage in his career feels like he gives so little of a toss that I'm pretty sure whenever I'm seeing him on screen, he's got his own phone in his pocket. <laughs> And you think, yeah. actually, yeah, yeah, he is that guy. Although, did you see the video of him talking about Donald Trump? No, I haven't seen this I need yet. To see that. I, I shall. It's incredible. But it's I... just, it's, it's meant to be a nonpartisan advert for just voting he in general. To punch him. Yeah, he does. But in this video, it's he was hired to just say, "I don't care who you go out and vote for, just go out and vote." Not the case. Not what. Not what Bobby says. No, because he basically Bobby says uh, Donald Trump is a punk. He's a bozo. He says he wants to punch someone in the face. Well, I've got news for him. I'm going to punch him in the face. <laughs> and it's just like, yes. I, I, you know, I, I feel like I don't. I, I don't want to get into into the zone there, but I just feel yeah. like, given how he's conducted himself in the last month, that should 
Donald Trump lose the election. There should just be a public, the equivalent of a public flogging, where he simply stands there outside yeah. Trump Tower. People queue up one at a time, one, you know, one by one to just punch him in the face, just once. <laughs> Everybody gets one. Everybody gets Everybody one. Everybody gets one. Everybody gets once, and and you know, that's that's really it. Everyone that's, just punches that's all you ask for. Yeah, and they just walk past and just casually punch him in mm-hmm. the face and keep walking. Well, we are going to go to Trump Tower next week when we're yeah, in New York. You, you are there. I'm, yeah. I'm going to go just because I. I want to see the protesters. Can't, there's, been, there's been protesters there for weeks. Well, yeah, but you are going whilst the election. You're actually going to be there on election day, aren't you? We leave the day before. Oh man! Which I'm, I'm thankful I'm that close to the fire without <laughs> being in it. You, you left the day before they sacked Rome. <laughs> the case Allen story. <laughs> that, that's it. The day before they sacked Rome. The case and Cassie story. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, sorry. Going back to uh, the Uncharted film, mm. it's got another director. Okay, so, who's doing? it now right take this with a huge huge grain of salt i do when it's a video game movie generally yeah well this is the thing but it's gone through um i think uh seth gordon green yeah he was one for a while seth Um, rogan was gonna do it one stage rogan yeah of course yeah yeah uh but now it's fallen to the hands of sean levy or levy whichever i go with levy we'll go with sean levy Sean yeah. Levy? Yeah, I go with Sean. So Sean Levy, who did the uh, Nightmare Museum films, which I don't particularly mind. Did Real Steel, didn't he? Did... <laughs> yeah, less said about that, the better. <laughs> the Rock'em Sock'em Robots adaptation. And he did, what was that? It was a Jewish family drama. This is why I leave you. Oh yes, which yes, I thought was okay. No, that wasn't Actually, bad. That wasn't, bad. Oh, wasn't too bad. But yeah, here's the latest filmmaker that's been attached to it. So we'll, we'll see if this happens. But apparently, it's being fast tracked because, like the crow, the sooner we make it, the sooner we can all <laughs> bloody stop talking about it. Exactly. Look, just just sign someone. Don't let them leave the building. Just make it already. Just, I think that's what they do. They sign the contract, and then whilst their hand is doing the signature on the contract, a cuff is put around their wrists, yeah. and they are attached chained. To a camera. Yeah, they're chained to the chair. It's like, right, you can go wherever you want on this wheelie chair. Yeah. Within this building, within this film set, cannot leave. There is a studio in the basement. Go and make the damn film. Yeah, but um, this is the thing as well. So many people have wanted this film to be made for so long mm. that Nathan Fillion is now past the age where he can be Nathan Drake. That's it. It's he would have been so the perfect, long. the perfect uh, Nathan Drake. It's true. Nathan Fillion's now been waiting so long for this movie that he's actually, you know, he's actually reached the stage where he looks like he's eaten the Nathan Fillion of the time they started making that movie. That's the thing. Like he, he could put on some grey hair dye and be the older guy in the Uncharted games. He could be Sully. So no, no, he is. He is. I think he's the daughter's current love interest on Modern Family at the minute. Really, he's in yeah. the family. He's and I he's a weatherman. Oh, he's a weatherman, and he's terrific. I love Nathan Fillion. Who doesn't love Nathan Fillion? He's, he's just, amazing. He's so likable. He'll okay. always be mal to me. <laughs> you should get a get a shirt with that on. No, you can't take the sky from me, baby. Right. So thinking of things that are uh, incredibly likable to something that you'd be pretty hard pressed to like. Are you segueing the review? Is that what that is? I'm trying to segue it. <laughs> okay. So the comedian's guide to survival. Which is, oh wow. Where I've heard to, nothing but abysmal things. About right, where to begin with this one? Okay, so this is the story of, this is a real story as well that's been sort of fictionalised slightly, but it's based on a real guy. It's based on James Mullinger. Do, do you know him at all? I'm not aware. James Mullinger? Mullinger? I'm trying to remember. It is James Mullinger. Right, he was a comedian. He was a GQ editor who fancied himself a stand-up comedian, was going out at night and bombing on stage, and on a magazine assignment decided to, you know, map out what it took to be funny and discover his own his own comedic worth. And yeah. he is now a, sta- a, a professional stand-up. Now, he actually does cameo in this film in which he himself is played by James Buckley from The Inbetweeners, so Jay from The Inbetweeners. Jay, yeah. And uh, <laughs> what you get is the same plot. He's a, a an editor for a magazine, which I, I can't remember. Oh, COQ it's called. So spell that one out in your head. 
Uh, the editor is Paul Kay, who's in full salivating panto mode, and he is dispatched because he's like the worst employee they have. Paul Kay of Dennis Pettis. Yep, right. yep. Who, I tell you something, needs to look back on this film and seriously consider apologising for the time he asked Steve Martin why he wasn't funny anymore. Because, oh, I remember that. Yeah. I thought of that all the way through this film. Didn't he ever bust it with Tom Cruise as well? I re- he's had a bust up with everyone. I do remember when he ran into Bruce Willis and Demi Moore when they were married, and uh, he asked Bruce Willis what it was like to be married to, to Demi Moore. Isn't it true that he's just going to die hard? And which I genuinely think was probably the best line he ever came out with. But <laughs> anyway, I'm sure Bruce didn't agree. You no, know, Bruce did not agree, and but he wasn't quite that nutso stage back then. He was still just Bruce Willis, the emerging movie star. It was the early nineties. It was a simpler time. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. We Mel, only we only Mel, had two Mel, diehard movies. Mel Gibson hadn't uh, said anything anti-Semitic. Yet. Will you please leave Mel out of this? Leave Mel alone. I just like it when you jump to his defence. I will jump to his defense. You know, because he was a movie star, damn it. He deserves to be a movie star. I want him back as a movie star. And did you not see Machete Kills? Anyway. Back to, back to the point. Back to the point. I did, unfortunately. All right, all right, all right. Okay, so, James Mullinger, as played by James Buckley, you know, goes, interviews some comedians, tries to discover, goes to America. Because he's their worst employee, they send him on a plush assignment to L.A., because that's what you do with your worst employees. Yep. Yep. And he interviews loads of comedians. He interviews people, characters of comedians who are played by other comedians. It's a whole mess of unfunny gum. Here's a clip that's sort of... This is the comedic level of thumb. Here's a clip. You are being sent to LA to make the Hollywood comedians, in particular, Dustin Stratford. They'll never get Dustin Stratford. I want him on the cover! Oh. That's where I want him. And loads of pages in the middle. Mr. Mulligan, first time in L.A.? It's Mullinger. That British sarcasm? Left a load of messages about Dustin. Dustin's not giving any interviews. You are the funniest comedian I'm going to shag this week. Oh, lucky me. And not lucky me, because I had to sit through this. And, wow, okay, 92 minutes of the least funny material you'll ever see. It is astonishing, genuinely astonishing, that a film can have the cast that this does. A cast made up of so much comic talent. Yeah, I am just on the Are you flicking page through it? right now, yeah. And not make you laugh once. And I am not exaggerating, you won't laugh once. Hilariously, the poster for this, which features James Buckley sat on a toilet with a black eye, uh, and yet somehow that, that image really does sum up this film. Kind of, it, yeah, toilet-worthy toilet and worth punching in the face. The poster does somehow advertise the film. But it's cast list. It's above the title cast list. Genuinely includes, and this is one example, uh, Jimmy Carr. Jimmy Carr does not appear in this film in any capacity other than at the very, very end of the film, he is shown hosting the Toronto Comedy Festival. And he's never even shown directly on camera. He's shown okay. in the background. And he is one of their name talents on there. The film opens with uh, Gilbert Gottfried telling you what it takes to be funny. And you start thinking, that's all well and good. But you know when your film opens with telling you what, telling you how to be funny? Do you not think the film itself should actually at any point bother doing Just be funny. That, yeah. yeah. When they made uh, Funny People years ago, there was a story that Judd Apatow, who obviously wrote and directed that, sent Adam Sandler, Jonah Hill, and Seth Rogen to a comedy club. Yeah, it did. And made them actually perform their own material yeah. for a full set and then filmed it and used it in the film. This is what we actually get to see in mm. the film. And that famously, although both Adam Sandler and Seth Rogen had done stand-up in the past, Jonah Hill hadn't. And Jonah Hill found it, it actually really, really difficult. Mm. And it does kind of show in the film, but also it does show that there is a serious disconnect between the comedic worth of a stand-up comic 
and the comedic worth of I Went to Rada. Hmm. And that's kind of where you're at with this, because James Buckley, who... Let's be really honest here, is a one-trick pony. He really is. We, we, we've proven this time and time again now. He did the in-between us uh, stuff. The first series was great. The series got increasingly poor as it went on. They managed to do a movie which managed to bring it all back and then did a, and se- then did a, second and then did a sequel and sacked it. And you're thinking, okay, this series just clearly isn't meant for longevity. And why they never just went to university like they should have done is beyond me, because that was the natural evolution of that series. But uh, put it this way, Greg Davies is the undisputed star of The Inbetweeners. Let's just keep it that way. But the problem is, every time they've tried to spin James Buckley into something else, it's never worked. And you look at... Remember, his big break was Popstar. You know, his big break things. Oh, yeah, I'm gonna, he was, I'm just, gonna be he this, was yeah. part of the posse. Yeah, I'm going to be in this Judd Apatow film. I'm gonna be, and you saw the film, you're like, you literally have two lines in this. Yeah. And, and then, a weird wig. And a weird wig. And then there was, uh, he had that Only Fools and Horses prequel that nobody liked. Oh, uh, I forgot it, about Rock that. And, rock and Chips? I want to say, was it Rock and something Chips? Something like, like that. that. Yeah. Which was the prequel nobody asked for, and apparently even less people watched. And you think, yes, because you have absolutely no ability whatsoever outside of this this one character you did. Didn't you do a horror movie a couple of years ago? The Pyramid. The Pyramid, yeah. Pyramid. Uh, Dennis O'Hare, I think, was in that. Yeah, terrible yeah. in that as well. And would you believe it, he's terrible in this. He not, he's not likeable, he's not engaging, he's not charismatic, he's not even vaguely entertaining as a lead, and he is genuinely incapable of eliciting a single laugh. It's just proof positive once and for all that the, the success of the in-betweeners lay entirely in its scripting. And let's be honest, that deteriorated as it went on anyway. Mm. Although they did regain my sanity slightly by introducing Hannah Toynton in the final series. But, uh, yeah, uh, incidentally, two of those actors turn up in uh, The Darkest Universe next week. Oh, yeah. I think I it's Joe Simon, Bird yeah. and Simon Simon Bird and Joe Thomas turn up in the Darkest Universe. Which one is Joe Thomas? Joe Thomas play? is the main one in the Inbetweeners. Oh, oh really? The, the the one with the spiky hair who's in love with Carly. Oh right, okay. Yeah, you know, the the al- the alpha of the group, I would say. Yeah. Anyway, the yeah. every the every man of the group. Hmm. Anyway, beside the point, we're talking too much about the in between us. Right. It's not funny. It's agonizing. It's one of those cheap British films. I think it's made for like a million or something like three million, something like that. Set in LA, they have not left the UK, and boy, you, you get shown this. <laughs> you get it. There yeah. are outtakes on this film, and even they can't make you laugh. And the outtakes are basically just a bunch of people filming in front of green screens because they've not bothered to even do pickup shots anywhere else. Tell a lie. They took a trip to Toronto for literally one shot. I don't know how they justified it, but they did. But they did it. And, yeah, loads of green screen, loads of British comics turning up as Americans, and, boy, the accents range from poor to even worse. Uh, Vaz Blackwood, dreadful in it. Mark Heap, dreadful in it. Kevin Eldon, dreadful in it. Omid- I love Kevin Eldon yeah. and Mark Heap. Yeah, Omid Jalili genuinely manages the only thing, managed to walk away with the only thing resembling dignity in this film, purely because he sits there and tells the lead he's, character he's how terrible himself, he is. He's isn't he? Yeah. yeah, but his job is to sit there and tell the main character how terrible he is. And you think, yeah, okay, Omid, you, you win this one. And yeah. no, never ever see this. Never see it. It's got the most ironic title you can imagine because it's called The Comedian's Guide to Survival. You want this guy to not survive. Genuinely, his survival is the furthest thing from your desires. I guarantee you, it is just terrible. There is a brief moment when uh, who's who's the younger Woodward? There's Edward Woodward who's in the Wicker Man, yeah, and Peter's the son who is in Iwawa. Iwawa, yeah. Iwawa. Um, from from National Treasure Two, was it? Yeah, yeah. National <laughs> Treasure. Bag of smash. I guess. <laughs> 
there's a brief moment when he turns up and she's like, you know what, you look threatening and menacing. I really hope you punch this guy in the face. And sadly, he doesn't. But, uh, what a letdown. No, hated every single second of it. It went on for 92 of the longest minutes of my life. Uh, yeah. yeah, I will not be seeing that. I don't. Despite just... my love for Omid Jalili and Mark Heap. Yeah, absolutely do not yeah. see it. Absolutely don't see it. Um, I am going to go see Indiana Jones 5. <laughs> okay. Segway. Oh, is that, is that some sort of news on Indiana Jones? There's a little bit of news. Okay, what just is it? A, it's, it's a little tidbit from one of the writers. Okay. So, um, uh, David Coep. Of course it's David Coep. Why Great wouldn't writer. it be David Coep? Shit director. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> Apart from Premium Rush, I've got a weird soft spot. Premium, Premium Rush, Rush, whose title kind of reviews the film for you. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> How was it? It was a Premium Rush. Premium Rush, man. Premium, Premium Rush. <laughs> yeah, um, he has said that George Lucas, surprise, surprise, mm. is not going to be involved at all. Good. In any capacity with Indiana Jones. Good. Park. Yeah, it's a good thing. That's I think I think you know George Lucas should just you know should be yeah. shipped off to that that flannel shirt repository in the countryside <laughs> to live out the rest of his days in in that, relatively that great flannel shirt factory in the sky, <laughs> <laughs> not in the sky, the one in the countryside that we we send all the old pets to. But uh... <laughs> this is basically the same metaphor. <laughs> Kind of is. I was envisioning an actual shirt yeah. repository in the countryside. Yeah, just send him off to a farm where he can make CGI creatures for the rest of his life. Yeah. I'd have to see. <laughs> yeah. I just really want one of the spin offs to execute Jar Jar Binks. Oh my God. I just really want it. Just, just please. I have one wish with the Star Wars franchise just that they kill Jar Jar Binks. They violently execute Jar Jar Binks. I don't even want to see. Just don't even dedicate any more time to him. Just... I want his head on a spike. Really? Uh, that's that's all I want. I just want to just see a pile of bones somewhere. Just be like, oh right, so he died, just off camera somewhere. <laughs> so Kylo Kylo, Kylo Ren just walks by saying, "Yeah, you said people died a horrible death." <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So well, what's the, the news? George Lucas will not be involved. That's right. basically the news. Just David Cobb. Yeah. Just great. Just. Just kind of reassuring as well when Good. else. That's it. It is reassuring, isn't it? It's He's not reassuring. Yeah, that's yeah. it. I don't want him back. I never want George Lucas back in any form. He's given us something incredible, and now just just go away for. Yeah, yeah, that's it. I never want George Lucas back. I never want to see him contribute any more work to the world. I think we gave him three chances, and he fouled them up. So yeah, yeah. Too bad, George. Too bad, or three bad, bad, as it were. Three but, bad, yeah. Yeah, three bad. So absolutely. Yeah. Um, Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy. Ooh, yeah, go on. I know this one. Go on. Okay. I, I know um, it. I've sort of forgotten, but go on. You've, it, to be fair, this news has been out for about a week or so, something like that. Yeah. We just not talked about it. Um, he's set to play um, uh, Ernest Shackleton. That was it, yes. The legendary explorer. Climb of Everest. He Ernest could Shackleton. do that. He could. He could, totally he could couldn't he? Did you see the Kenneth Branagh uh, Shackleton? I did years, years ago, though, wasn't it? Yeah. It was like, what, 15, 15 years ago? Something, something like that. Like that. It was before, I think it was before he started like trying, for, trying to be a Hollywood director, wasn't it? Yeah, and succeeding. Well, he is succeeding. Well. He's killing it, yeah. He's doing well. He's doing well, okay, bro. But yeah, um, he's lined up to uh, to be Ernest Shackleton. I can totally see that. Yeah, I can as well. Yeah, yeah. he's The thing with Tom Hardy is Tom Hardy walks that brilliant line between being a, a genuine sort of movie star type character, but also having the grit of, uh, of a serious, independent kind of an actor. He balances the two quite well. That's why his Mad Max was as likeable as he was. Yeah, uh, he was really good at grunting. About yeah, that. with all with all six of his lines, he was great. <laughs> Water. <laughs> with all six, but yeah, yeah, he did well. But I need to rewatch Fury Road at some point because you know, I, the, I rewatched it a couple of weeks ago. Well, in the last few months, Riley Keough has kind of become a thing, right? Of course, and, yeah. and I've forgotten her in in. No, Fury Road, so yeah, I need to go back and watch. I only remember like Zoe Kravitz and who's the sexy blonde from Transformers Three? 
The one who introduced in 3D pants. Oh, uh, uh, Jason Statham's fiance. Rosie Huntington Whiteley. Yeah. yeah. She, she is great in that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She was good in that. She's really good. She, um, yeah. But I do, I do love me a bit of Fury Road. Oh, yeah. So, uh, so uh, final review? What is it? Final review. Okay, let's be evil. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're in for a treat with this okay, one. Okay, give me, give me a quick one. Right, so Let's Be Evil, which is latest from uh, director Martin Owen. Uh, trying to f- remember for the life of me what he did, and the answer is... Oh, hang on, hang on. IMDb, don't fail me now. Right, so Martin Owen, who was basically... he's This is from a story by him and the star of the film, Elizabeth Morris. Uh, he previously directed... I did know this yesterday, and it's gone in my head. Uh, director, director, director... Oh, Abducted. Now, I never saw Abducted. But uh, So he's done this. This is basically a British-made but American set augmented reality horror movie, horror thriller kind of a thing. It's played in that sort of first-person perspective. You know what Doom tried to do years ago where they had that that first-person sequence? They've tried to do it here with another sort of horror chiller. The idea is you've got a young girl, tragic background, played by Elizabeth Morris, who um, at some point years earlier her father's died, but this doesn't seem to weigh in on the plot at all. She's looking after her ailing mother. She's in her sort of mid-20s. She's looking after her ailing mother. Can't afford the medical costs. Takes on a job as a chaperone for a group of children in L.A. whom are being outfitted with augmented reality to try and make them into the leaders of tomorrow, to try and increase their intellect to make them into the leaders of tomorrow. And what she does is she goes to her first day of work, and it's in like a bunker-type structure, in which you can do nothing without these these ARGs, or augmented reality glasses, on. And she's teamed up with uh, two other two other sort of 20-somethings. One's played by Cara Toynton, elder sister of Hannah, who is playing American here for some reason, and uh, what's his name? Elliot James Landridge from, I forget what he was in. They are the three adults to this group of children who wander from room to room. They are dictated by this artificial intelligence that runs the place called Ariel. And before you know it, suspicious things start to happen, and it all seems to be tied into this augmented reality system and the children themselves. We have a clip which kind of tells you how bonkers and all over the place this is. You are here to act as chaperones to the candidates. A group selected for intelligence trials using augmented reality technology. This is seriously weird, isn't it? I am Ariel. The candidates, they're... Children. The time to save our country's future is now. I thought that was a really neat trick they played on you. Right, this is really, really forgettable. Kind of a nothing affair. Cheap, cheerful. You can sort of tell they filmed this in a warehouse over the course of a fortnight. Uh, your child star of this is Isabel Allen, who we most of us remember as the face on the poster of Les Mis. Couple of years oh, right. ago, another little girl on the yeah, Lemmy's yeah. poster. Yeah, it was young Cosette, I want to say. Corset, what was young, her name? Uh, Corjette. Young Corjette, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't remember. Was that uh, Anne Hathaway's character or the other one? I can't remember. Um, it's her daughter. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah, um, she is uh, Fontaine. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Anne Hathaway's Fontaine. Oh, that's it, right. Well, Isabel Allen's perfectly fine in it. Nothing really to shout home about. The cast, I mean, okay, Cara Toynton, you do forget, is actually British. She seems to have mastered the American accent a little bit. The problem is, it's a, a triumph of style over substance. A lot of effort's been put into the stylization of it, and the you know the, its use of lighting, its its score, as you can hear from that clip, is quite pulsing, quite synthwave kind of a thing. The problem is, it doesn't really ever utilise its atmosphere to tell a good story. Its, its story is 
utterly unengrossing. It's not really got much in the way of investment. You're, the lead, Elizabeth Morris, she's, she's likeable in it, but the character is never given much depth. The circumstances aren't really ever built up to have much in the way of consequence. And by the time it gets to its point, it's over. And even then, it gets to a point without really elaborating on it. It just gives you a, oh, by the way, eh. And you're like, yeah, but you've not really given uh any context. So cheers for uh, and I'll second that with meh. And that's kind of where you leave it. Uh, meh. Yeah, it's a, it's a meh affair. It's not let's be evil, it's let's be unengaging, let's be meh, let's be dull. Mm. But, uh, yeah, wasn't really blown away with it, to be honest. So. No, it sounds a bit I don't meh. Know. It is a bit meh. Do you got any film news to take us to the end, then? I'm all out. You're all out I'm this all week. I'm all out of news. Well, so lost about news. fair enough then, really. Uh, trying to think what else we had this week. Uh, no, not really. I mean, we did the Uwe Ball stuff. That was pretty we fun. I will be Although, sad. actually, Go on. just thinking about it, I did read that there's going to be two competing uh, biopics about uh, Zelda Fitzgerald. Yes, I heard yeah, this. Yeah, hear about this. Jennifer Lawrence Jennifer Lawrence yeah. is one. Yeah, who's name, the other? Can you name the other one? No, I can't. ScarJo. ScarJo's doing ScarJo is the other. Huh. Yeah. Oh, that is interesting. So, uh, yeah, Zelda Fitzgerald is a really interesting character to take for a biopic. I can't believe it's... There is, there is another yeah. biopic I want to talk about, actually. Um, Sam Phillips is getting a biopic. Really? Yeah, obviously he discovered Elvis and yeah. a bunch of them, isn't he? I did hear about this. And it's, and it's DiCaprio. DiCaprio's going to do it. Yeah. I mean, good DiCaprio. casting. That's, that's totally good. I would believe DiCaprio as a visionary of the music industry. Totally. Yeah. Just please let him play it in the style of Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, my God. That'd be incredible. <laughs> the only question with that is who do you get to play Elvis again? Um, Mark Shannon. Yeah, yeah, do it. <laughs> do it. <laughs> Although, you know, after having seen uh, London Town, which I'm not allowed to review for another few weeks, uh, I will say there is uh, there is a serious mileage for getting Jonathan Reese Myers back. Just, uh, but as Elvis? He played Elvis before. Has played Elvis. He's played Elvis. Film? He started a biopic as Elvis. What film? Uh, do you know, I forget the name of it, but it was, it was like... 15 years ago now? He was very good at it. Is that just his thing, to just be in musical biopics, musical kind of biopics? That's exactly that, yes. I Have will you tell the you... the Velvet Goldmine? Uh, when it came out. Yeah, yeah, but that was what, about 20 years ago? Oh, yeah, a long time. About 18, 20 long, years long ago. Time. I will tell you, though, he does make a better Joe Strummer than you'd think. Yeah. yeah. I'm not convinced just by the trailer, but... Well, just, I'll, I'll watch just it. I'll watch you it wait for it. Out. You've got the link for that, haven't you? Like, I believe so. You, you've got the links. It, well, it's not due out till Boxing Day, so you've got you know I've, I've ample got time. time. <laughs> ample time, and we uh, we have an interview with the director of that to to play. Of course, at the time, yeah. but we're not allowed to use that until the 9th of December. Oh, keep us in suspense. They, they really do. Amazingly, they kept him in suspense as well because he did not know that. <laughs> so, <laughs> I did. I was sat there with him. I was like, oh, we can't use this on the 9th. He's like, you what? What? He's like, well, why can't you? I don't know. Embargo, man. He's like, oh, when's the film out? I'm like, it's your movie. <laughs> you tell me. Yeah, but it's your movie. Don't you know? He's like, no. I'm like, it's Boxing Day. He's like, oh, cool, that's cool. <laughs> but yeah, really nice guy, though. Mm. Which, on which point, let's let's end this week's proceedings with, here it is. Your moment of cage. You know, he stalks them like his next trophy animal. He rapes them and he kills them. He is probably doing it right now. We don't have a few days. I want a warrant. Now.